When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. You like that? You like that? We'll get a little training camp glimpse from Matthew Collar. Uh, he's interviewing people inside the organization and doing <laughs> insider reporting right now. But he'll join us in about a half hour at 1230 from Egan. Dave's got some questions. He's back from vacation. He's refreshed. He's ready to roll. Let's start with this one. About an hour and a half ago, we discussed the first Canadian Football League start for Johnny Manziel. Did not go well. Four interceptions for the Montreal Alouettes and a loss to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Simple question. There's a lot of circus surrounding two athletes. You could call them minor league athletes. For the sake of Johnny Manziel, we'll call Canadian Football League minor league to the NFL. It seems fair. Who would you like to succeed more and make it to big league status? Johnny Manziel back in the NFL or if Tim Tebow were to climb up all the way into Major League Baseball, just for the circus itself, which would be more fun to watch? Tim Tebow, 100%, because baseball needs something fun like that. Football doesn't really need. Football's had Johnny Manziel enough. Like, it's, you know, football's going to be fine with or without Johnny Manziel. You could say that Tim Tebow would put baseball on a different map a little bit. You know, we've been dying for baseball to have an injection of fun and attention and reason to watch, right? And marketable names and players. And he's all of those things. Whether you like him or not, he's a lightning rod figure, and he's a guy that would instantly make it must-watch, even if he was just a part-time player who came in a couple times a week and stole some bases, even though he doesn't steal bases. Like, I don't know what he would do. But, like, if he was on on the team, it would make the Mets interesting to watch, and it would would provide a jolt to Major League Baseball. I am pro-Tim Tebow in the Major Leagues. Give me Johnny Manziel, and here's why. Tebow would, would get here, and it would get a ton of coverage, but he's a great human being, right? So I would just get bored. Manziel? Manziel gets back to the National Football League. Let's say he finds success, right? Falls off the wagon, becomes a complete three-ring circus. <laughs> I want. I think Manziel, because, because of the faults of him, has way more potential to be fun to watch. Tebow gets up here, it would be a circus for a month or so, and then he's just a good guy. Johnny Manziel has the ability to certainly have things go wrong again. I would prefer to watch that circus. So you're looking for the ambulance chasing. I'm ambulance chasing, chasing, which I always do, which is is just me. Uh, So think about how remarkable this is, too. Tim Tebow didn't play baseball from high school all the way until he was almost 30 years old. 
And he jumps right in and plays professional baseball against some of the best young players in the world. So the highest drafted players, uh, the Dominican and Venezuelan players who are in these systems. Not major league, but you know the level below that basically in terms of world talent. Double A is where a lot of the best talent is. Mm-hmm. And he's hitting 270. Isn't that amazing? Two se- the guy wakes up off his couch and one year takes one year to knock the rust off, having not played baseball in a decade, yep. and jumps into double A. Guys yeah, who are nice. throwing 95, 100 yeah. miles an hour. Mm-hmm. You got all kinds of tools. That's where the most tools reside in double A. Bunch of 21, 23-year-old awesome young players. And you don't and mean guys hitting, that are tools. You mean the little five both. tools. A little yeah, both. Yep. <laughs> little that's both. why I love him. And this dude's batting two seventy three. I think that's incredible. I never thought he would be at double A and respectably knocking on the door of he's hurt now, being right? a major leaguer. Hammett bone broken yeah, or something he's like done that. Done for the season, I believe, was the word. Hmm. Too bad. Give me the Johnny Manziel circus. I had a feeling him. you'd pull oh, for yeah. Johnny. Oh yeah. I want to see him spiral. <clears throat> Let's talk hoop. Let's talk over unders. Westgate in Las Vegas has released their over-under win totals for the upcoming season. Your Timberwolves are at 44-and-a-half. I'll run through the Western Conference for you. It starts Hmm. with Golden State, 62-and-a-half. Houston, 54-and-a-half. OKC is at 50-and-a-half. The Lakers and Utah, both 48-and-a-half. Then you go down to Denver, 47-and-a-half. New Orleans, 45-and-a-half. Then your Timberwolves occupying what they would say, according to the over-under, is the eighth spot in the Western Conference, 44-and-a-half ahead of a couple teams. You notice I didn't mention the Spurs, 43-and-a-half, and and the Portland Trailblazers at Mm 41-and-a-half. Your thoughts on those numbers? I think they're very very fair. If I was to redo it a little bit, I would probably put either the Spurs or Blazers ahead of the Wolves, but I think that is probably accurate. Vegas is ordinarily right quite a bit. And when I think about the the dysfunction, combine the talent and dysfunction of the Wolves and the fact that I think the head coach is going to be tuned out more and, and the fact that the Lakers are definitely going to take, I, I think, an enormous step with James, even if his supporting cast is not that good, I think that's an incredibly fair figure. And I think that you could actually make a case that Westgate should put the Wolves slightly out of the playoffs, not in the playoffs. This is a daunting scenario for the Wolves because what you're telling me is they have to fend off, if they want to make the playoffs under this scenario, they have to fend off the San Antonio Spurs and Greg Popovich, a team that went to the playoffs without Kawhi Leonard last year and just replaced him with DeMar DeRozan. Yes. So that's uh-huh. that's one hurdle to climb. And then the other one, the Blazers, I think, were the three seed in the West last year and have one of the top 12-ish players in the league in Damian Lillard. Yep. Ah. It sounds right, though. It's it, it feels like there are 10 viable teams in the West, and the Wolves are going to be among a group of like five or six fighting in that. And, and even like the teams you mentioned, they're all like, what are they separated by two or three wins? You get 43, 44, 44 and a half, 45, 46. Starting at the four spot, the Lakers and Utah tied there. They're at 48 and a half. Okay. So all the way down to the 10, 41 and a half. Yeah. And it, you could even argue it might be tighter than that. Uh, Houston at 54 almost feels a little high. They that lost, might be aggressive. They lost two rotation players and then put Carmelo Anthony in the mix. And Is that official yet? They were going to no, put Carmelo Carmelo's in the mix. Not, not official yet. Okay. Yeah, good luck to them. I don't get that one. Yeah, I think Carmelo I think Carmelo actually is going to hurt them but Oh for sure wrong. absolutely I just don't get that one If you had to bet a significant amount of money yep. are you taking the over or the under on the Wolves 44 and a half Over I'll take the over 
Oh, so, yeah, cat gets a year better. Yeah, and so many things could go wrong under. <laughs> <laughs> Ambulance chasing. So many things could go wrong. Hey, listen, if we're right about Tibbs, <laughs> if we're right about Tibbs, this ain't going to be pretty. If this show is right about how how we feel about him, there's talent there. But this, yeah, but, but what but was, this might not be pretty. Okay, but it's not going to be that much different than last year when it wasn't pretty. And just because of sheer talent, they grinded out 46 without Jimmy Butler for a third of the year. I'm just saying, if I have to bet the house on it, I think I'm taking the under, not the over. Breaking news. If Judd has to put money on a scenario, he chooses <laughs> so the negative. So far in questions, I want to see Johnny Manziel fail, and I find that to be fun. And I think the Wolves are going to be under the Win-loss total you get. It all sounds about right, like I never missed a day. Uh, Are you guys aware of the anniversary that baseball celebrated this past Saturday? 25-year anniversary, August 4th, 1993. Oh, is that the the date that football took over as America's favorite sport? (laughs) Not quite, but it did involve some vicious haymakers. After a single early on the pitch, is way in and hit him to the right elbow. He's going to the mound. He's going after Nolan Ryan. Ventura against Ryan. They've got him bear hung. Ventura fighting Ryan. Ryan being pushed back. Both benches empty. A huge brawl has erupted as Robin Ventura has chased the legend Nolan Ryan, and the Rangers take exception. There are fists being thrown. <laughs> Diving into the pile late is a White Sox. There are fist fights going on. There certainly were. That's awesome. That is one of the great baseball <laughs> highlights, if you can call it highlight, of all time. But baseball is a game that lends itself to wonderful highlights and wonderful pieces of video. So... Now, humans compete. We like rankings. Phil and Judd rank them on 1500 ESPN. Top three pieces of baseball video you can think of right off the top of your heads. Go ahead when you're ready. Just like any video of baseball history? I mean, I immediately think that one. I immediately think uh, Randy Johnson exploding the bird. Hank Aaron rounding the bases with with fans chasing him as he broke Babe Ruth's record is up there. Yeah. I think of... The other Randy Johnson memory, there's a bunch of them, but him and John Cruck in the All-Star game. A classic. Where Cruck turns the helmet around and goes to the... Did he go to the other side of the batter's box, too? I don't know. He just cowered. Uh, there's a lot of old-school ones, too, where like grainy footage of Willie Mays running back to the... to the, Here's the Willie Mays playing center field for the San yeah. Francisco Giants. Spinning around and throwing the ball. But I would say... And it's a lot of this is a homer take in some ways, but Kirby Puckett pumping his fist around the bases... Just baseball videos that pop into my head. Kirby Puckett running around the bases, pumping his fist, and Jack Buck saying, we'll see you tomorrow night is pretty high up there. You've got that. You've got Kirk Gibson with the fist pump. Yeah, that's some, Jose Canseco with the ball off the head. All of those <laughs> oh, in the same vein. Yeah. Sammy Sosa with the cork bat exploding <laughs> yeah. in the infield against, was it the Brewers? <laughs> yeah, because God knows. That's my BP bat. God Oops. knows. Yeah. I grabbed the he wrong one. He had to cork again. his bat. Son of a gun. You're already cheating with PEDs, <laughs> but let's cork your bat to help you out. Okay, the, the three that came to my mind immediately. Uh, the, Official rank him here. The third the one. The third one. One, two. Number three. Uh, the the one game playoff, nineteen seventy eight, Bucky Dent's home run over the Green Monster against the Red Sox. That that was the first one game playoff I saw, and at the time it was spectacular. So that is number three. Number two. It's a combination. Ninety one game six. It's Kirby's catch followed by him hit, hitting the home run. So it's a combination because they always show those back to back. And then number one. This is going to sound sort of weird, but it's um. 
It's Gene Larkin's single to left field to win Game 7 in 91 that scored Gladdy. That one just always comes mm-hmm. to mind. So my top three, two of them are from the same World Series. In fact, back-to-back games on Saturday and Sunday nights. What about Maurer's bunt against the Indians at Target Field yeah. in 2011? How about Boo! that one? <laughs> Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. To make the stance that I did today, I just got tired of all the media that, that, that basically lied on me and said that I was a bad teammate, I was divisive. You know, you've never heard one teammate say these things. Terrell Owens decided to hold his Hall of Fame ceremony at UT Chattanooga, which is the college he went to. He was drafted the third round out of UT Chattanooga in 1996 and proceeded to become one of the great receivers of all time. I thought it was odd that Chris Carter had to wait five or six years. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was odd, maybe not odd. I think it's obvious why some of those guys wait, just because there's only so much room, and writers oftentimes will go with personalities that they like more. And Terrell Owens had to wait two or three years to get into the Hall of Fame. Let's play a couple clips here. His thoughts on or his explanation for why he elected to not go to Canton, Ohio. And then you and I can uh, agree or disagree with Terrell Owens. As a high schooler, as a collegiate player, um, I I wasn't considered one of the best. Um, So I I took those moments. Again, when I competition is is, is different when you're walking around in your everyday life. Um, Again, I do equate myself sometimes as a superhero in in, in a sense. Um, you think about you know some of the uh, Marvel uh, superheroes. You think about you know Incredible Hulk. You know he's David Banner before he's Incredible Hulk. And you think about Spider Man. He's Peter Parker before he's Spider Man. You know Superman. He's Clark Kent before he's Superman. So what you saw was you know you saw T.O. But I'm Terrell before T.O. For me, I, I respect myself enough. I'm not going to do a dog and pony show and just go smile in people's faces and be fake. That's never been me. I think if you listen to everybody that spoke today, I've always been true to myself. He also added in his actual speech that the reason why he didn't go to uh, the Canton, Ohio celebration is because he thinks the writers, I mean, he didn't say this directly, but he said the writers don't, the writers and the and the uh, values and the essentially the criteria that they use don't align with the Hall of Fame's vision and values. Right. And if you could take that a step further, it would be they thought that I was a cancer in the locker room. They thought that I was a problem and a guy who had off the field and in the locker room problems to the point where it should hold me out of the Hall of Fame for the first couple of years. Right. And right. he wants that to be noted and even changed going forward. What do you think? I think that he very easily could have gone to Canton and given that speech, and it would have made just as much sense. I mean, I get, I get what he's doing, but it's sort of flawed because the writers who vote definitely didn't embrace him. But we heard a lot of football people that went well beyond that group that said Mm -hmm. he he was a locker room problem and a cancer. And sure or not, I think if if you want to tackle that, I think you go to Canton and do it. And give give your speech. I mean, it there, would have been more powerful st- to look to yes. look essentially the and organization and the people. I don't think and- they would stop you. Like if you said this is my speech, I think they'd be because it it wasn't he he wasn't necessarily wrong. I, I don't know how how right he is, but I think he very easily could have gotten up given that speech. I mean, if if Ray could walk around the stage doing his speech, there's absolutely no re- reason why To couldn't have. And I think it would have been digested and accepted more. As opposed to, I'm not going, and I'm not really going to say why until I give my speech, which is going to be off-site. I think there was a missed opportunity here to give this exact speech and make it more powerful. 
Yeah, that's it's it's interesting. Um, I understand why he did it. I also think him deciding to throw this separate party and and give his own speech elsewhere, this me 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 selfish, which comes off as him then narrative, and that's it almost validates yes some of the writers who thought you know what this guy's a clown show we're yep. gonna we're gonna make this guy wait for a minute and players at his position historically aside from a guy like Moss have to wait. Chris Carter had to wait six times. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible amount. And if you go through, uh, I, I think in the modern era, there's, I think we're at five or six receivers now who have gone in first ballot. Okay. And besides that, they, that position is basically right or wrong, not valued as much as a lot of spots. So, so part of why he had to wait had nothing to do with him. It had to do with, with the spot he played. But I think if you want to make the impact that he desired, I think it would have been a lot more impactful to get up there on Saturday and give that exact speech. Do you think that his presence was more of a, a help or a hurt to the teams he played on? I think it depends on the teams. I think the 49ers, when, when he first came along, had had a good enough cultural structure to help. In Philadelphia, I think it became a detriment quickly. So I, I honestly think as he bounced from team to team, it it began to hurt more because he kept getting picked up at times by worse teams, the Bengals, who, who aren't terrible, but their culture's not great. Mm-hmm. Buffalo, for sure. Yeah. But I think when, when he started, San Francisco had the infrastructure alive where, where he might have been selfish, but I think in a situation like that, it's manageable. Here's what, what really bothers me about Terrell Owens. He has a complete inability to be able to raise his hand and say, you know what? Now that I'm in my 40s and I reflect on this, I was kind of a clown. And I totally understand why the perception of me and maybe even the reality of me at times took away from the on-field product. Yep. And if I could go back and do it all over again, I probably would have shut my mouth in certain instances. I, I probably would have would have pumped the brakes a couple times here and there. And I, and I understand why. I rub people the wrong way. Like, show a little humility and self-awareness which is, once in a while. Which is what Moss did. Moss basically said, I, I was put on this earth to lead, but I couldn't. Which at least is saying, I get that the fact that when I was 22, I was a jerk. Mm-hmm. So, it's not like Moss got up, up there and, and apologized, but he at least showed an awareness of, of who he was and what he's become. With T.O., that's not there. Uh, this was Randy Moss. So we'll just play a couple clips from Randy Moss. If you missed it over the weekend, it's been like three hours since we played these. Randy Moss talking about Dennis Green. First and foremost, i got to give the credit to where it's due. Where would we be without Dennis Green? Because he wouldn't have drafted me. Where would the Minnesota Viking true Randy Moss real fans be? <laughs> If Dennis Green would have never pulled that trigger at the 21st pick, I want to thank all the true Minnesota Viking fans for being able to stick through with me, through thick and thin, ups and downs, bumpy roads. This is for us. This is for us. I know a lot of people out there struggling. Really wanted to see a young kid from Rand, West Virginia. Grew up the same way that a lot of kids out there grew up. Struggling, single parent, single family homes. But I cannot forget 
My small, uncorporated community ran West Virginia. It feels like Randy has turned his entire demeanor and communication style into a, okay, how can I give praise to other people and highlight other people in, in his last five years or so? Yeah. I'm not sure if T.O. is at that point. Like T.O. Oh, still no. loves himself some T.O. just as much as he did when he was 24 years old, 27 years old. But Rand, Randy feels like he's taken his platform and he's taken his experiences, mm-hmm. and and he's all about sort of dishing out the assists back, right, and tipping his cap and maybe making up for I sense some a, of the a, perceptions from before. I sense a factor of he gets it now. There's a lot more humility. And, and yeah. it might not be complete, but he gets it. And T.O. is all about, I got screwed and and why aren't people being fair to me? Where Moss was exactly like that at like twenty three, that was Moss, mm-hmm. same exact guy, complete distrust. And and I sense with Moss that he has observed things, and I think he's a very very smart guy. And T.O., you still get this "woe is me, I didn't get elected." I mean, if T.O. looked at this, he would see that aside from a guy like Moss, players at his position have to wait a yeah. few years, and and three years. Is really, I'm surprised, but it's not awful. Yeah, T.O. T- T. legitimately thinks that he's never done anything wrong and that yep. he's just always been misperceived or uh, or characterized in a negative light for some reason. Like, people are just out to get me with no possible hint that maybe he had something to do with it. Yeah, I agree. So um, let's keep the Vikings conversation going here. Matthew Collar covering Vikings training camp, Purple Podcast and 1500ESPN.com. He actually wrote a really lengthy piece that it's insightful, and it's kind of a warning and a bracing for Vikings fans. Hey, (laughs) it's probably not going to be as good as it was last year. Doesn't mean that you still can't do great things in the postseason, but let's dive into some of that when we come back. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500ESPN. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. It's one of the funniest things that ever happened in sports. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Training camp. Matthew's a training camp. Matthew's a training camp. Hi, Matthew. Hello. Scrimmages, Saturday night. It had to be glorious. I wish I could have been there. Actually, before we get into uh, your negative article, I'm looking at the comment sections of your (laughs) negative article on 1500ESPN.com about how the Vikings are going to regress to 2-14. and What were your reviews of night practice over the weekend? Yes, let's keep it clear. It was night practice, Judd. It was not a scrimmage. Oh, I like to call it a scrimmage. It was, it was, but it was pretty much the same stuff we see on a daily basis. It was just at night. And I would say this, that the atmosphere was really great. I mean, to have the big board up there so everybody could look up there and see, you know, a closer view of what was going on. And, you know, the, the, the place was really packed. And at one point, Mike Zimmer grabbed the microphone and said that all the fans are going to be really proud of this team in February, which I didn't see coming. Uh, but, uh, you know, he decided to kind of hype it up a little bit. But, I mean, overall, like, the, the offense struggled a lot, and that's kind of been the theme so far. And, of course, that means that, you know, Cousins is a bust and they should trade him. Um, no, that, well, what it really means is that they had the number one defense in the NFL and all these guys have played together for a long time, and they have a new quarterback and a new offensive coordinator and it's one of the all-time great camp cliches that the defense is ahead of the offense, but it's really true, and you can see it out there. And I think as we go along here, especially when they get some preseason action, we'll start to get 
the offense more on the same page. But it also hurts that three of the starting offensive linemen didn't participate in that practice, which means that you've got basically an entire second team of offensive linemen trying to go against you know, great defensive linemen in these practices. So it's been quite the uh, challenge for the offense so far. Is Easton hurt, or what's wrong there? Do we know? Well, Judd, we don't talk about injuries in the preseason. Very good point. Uh, or at least the organization doesn't. And Mike Zimmer, someone told Zimmer that he doesn't have to comment on them, so he is really taking that to heart. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, all of a sudden on Saturday morning, Nick Easton was not at the walkthrough, and that's all we really know about Nick Easton's status. I mean, he has been around. Uh, he was at the walkthrough, but he was not participating today. So what we have practicing this afternoon will be – three backup offensive linemen. It's been Danny Isadora, Tom Compton, and then Cornelius Edison, who was, I think, active for one game last year and mostly on the practice squad. But uh, it really kind of shows you that the depth of this offensive line, as is the case for so many in the NFL, really isn't that great. And if they had to start the season with this offensive line, it would be full panic button. But luckily for them, there's still over a month to go before we really play. Do we ever get to the bottom of the Anthony Barr stuff? I mean, the Anthony Barr stuff is there was no stuff, but Mike Zimmer heard something or saw something or someone told him something. I've asked multiple people out here that have no idea exactly where. There's differing theories that he you know, may have heard it somewhere or had someone come tell him that fans were talking about it and he assumed that it was some sort of report. But uh, as far as we know, uh, there is nothing to really be said about the Anthony Barr situation that he sat out some 11-on-11s one day because he tweaked something, according to Zimmer, and that there's no other news aside from Zimmer saying they really want to keep Anthony Barr. But that's not a surprise. I think we've known that Zimmer likes Anthony Barr and is proud of having him be the first draft pick when Zimmer first got here and really feels like he's an integral part of this top defense. Um, but that, that's all I really got. I mean, I have not been able to figure out where he thought he saw a report that Barr was getting traded. I think I've got it. Uh, and we, we t- talked to you on a uh, Friday show, Collar, and I ran this theory by Phil after we talked to you, but here's my theory. I think the Vikings got wind of the fact the Barr camp was going to put something out there about requesting a trade because a deal's not done, and Zimmer decided to jump the gun to basically tell his camp, we ain't trading your guy, so don't ask. That's my theory. That could be. I mean, with, with this situation, it feels very different from the other players. I mean, Eric Hendricks signed super early, just said he wanted the money and wanted to stay. Daniil Hunter took a terrible deal. But, I mean, he's, he'll be fine. He's going to be okay. He's, he's going to make it, yeah. Still. He'll live. Yeah, he's going to make it. Uh, the, no one pray for Daniil Hunter. Uh, but even Stephon Diggs, it always had this feeling like, well, you know what, if they at least give him a fair deal that he'll sign to stay here, with Barr, it has felt very different, and I have wondered if there is still the ripple effect of Zimmer being so critical of Barr two years ago. And, yeah, maybe he should get over it, but players are the types to hang on to that sort of thing. Or maybe he's just the type of guy who does not care where he plays and only cares about how much money he makes. And I don't begrudge anybody for being that way. So that could be, um, as far as your theory, I have no idea. I mean, I, I haven't heard that that could be the case from anyone, but I, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, my theory is a little different from yours. The Mike Zimmer weird things in the media tends to happen when he gets a little bit anxious about something. Hmm. And I think that he's watching this offensive line right now and is terrified that they're <laughs> going to sink his season. That's my theory is that anything could have set him off 
And that's what it was. Because in 2016, when it started to happen, that's when the weird stuffed animal thing was out there. And that's when, uh, you know, he went off and called the team soft after the loss in Philadelphia when there was really no reason to do that. And I didn't even think they were soft in Philadelphia. I thought it was just, you know, the offensive line injuries. But that's the last time he's done anything that was a little bit sort of why did he do that or, or what's he doing here in the media? And so that, that's kind of where I stand. But it, it could be almost anything, really. We've, none of us have gotten any answers. So uh, Matthew Collar is at Vikings training camp, and uh, he's filing regular articles on 1500ESPN.com. Purple Podcast is on fire these days. And you wrote a piece examining the possibility of regression for the Vikings, unlikely to repeat a 13-3 and season, and, uh, and, and you flushed out several different reasons. So aside from their schedule just being tougher, what are some other things that you're looking at uh, that, not that Vikings fans should brace themselves for 6-10, and 10, but something, something below 13-3? and three? Well, the schedule really is the biggest point, though, because if you look at last year, who they beat, they racked up two wins against Brett Hundley, two wins against Mitch Trubisky, the Cleveland Browns, who went 0-16, the Cincinnati Bengals, who had given up by the point that they showed up in Minnesota and just got their faces beat in, Joe Flacco, who couldn't play anymore and had no wide receivers. I mean, that's a huge chunk of their wins came against teams that had bad quarterback situations or lost every game. And this year, when you look at their quarterbacks that they're going to be facing, it's so much tougher. So that's the, the biggest part of it. But beyond that, I mean, the health of the team last year, they did have some guys dinged up from time to time, but they started the same 11 players in week one that they started in the playoffs, which is just unprecedented. And you could see that if someone gets hurt in one area of the defense, take, for example, like Linval Joseph, if he gets hurt, there's no one behind him that is a proven defensive tackle that you can slide into the nose that's going to have anywhere like the impact he is. And, that, and that's the thing is that they've been able to keep all these players and they've been able to give them huge money for all their stars. But where you sacrifice is being able to sign the depth players behind them, that veteran guy who's out there who could still play a little bit at age 32 or something like that. You really don't have the money to sign guys like that. So th- there's just this huge drop-off for Harrison Smith if he were to go down or Everson Griffin and players like that. And if if any of those guys get hurt, you end up being maybe the seventh best defense instead of number one, and maybe you end up going 11 and five instead of 13 and three. There are a lot of scenarios where you can see that. Yes, panic, panic. Are you sure You're it's not eight and eight? Are you sure it's not uh, six and ten? Are you sure it's not a three-win season? Well, are we sure of anything, okay, Matthew so, Collar? So think of it this way. I mean, if you were if you had your computer out and you were uh, and you made it like a system to pick how many wins the Vikings were going to get. There's a scenario where they go 6-10 and 10 or 7-9, and nine, and that scenario is all the Vikings offense, yes, that's right, all the offensive linemen get hurt, <laughs> and, and Cousins has basically the same season he did last year, and they get beat by a bunch of good quarterbacks. It can happen, and that's why this offensive line situation, if it doesn't get itself resolved with the health of these three starters, it's a very serious concern. But there's still so much time. Remmers doesn't seem serious. Elfline should be back soon. I think uh, Kirk Cousins mentioned the other day that Elfline would be coming back soon. And I don't know what it is with Easton. But if all three of those are back, then you still should be one of the best teams in the NFC. But that's the one thing that you could see derailing this fantastic roster. I'm taking a deep breath before my next question just to <laughs> calm myself down after hearing 6-10. and 10. Um, I want to talk about 
the kicking competition. Do we have any yes. clarity so far Waiting. in the ongo in the ongoing kicking battle? The first legitimate one, I believe, for this team since I was told two thousand five. Okay, so here's what I know: Daniel Carlson can kick the ball really, really far. <laughs> That's my assessment so far. That Mike Prefer said today they're both about even as far as their field goals in the real situations. They're both something like twelve for fourteen. But Carlson kicked one the other night from 58. That was good from 68. It was a complete bomb. It was the farthest I've ever seen in person anyone kick the ball. That doesn't mean he's going to be accurate enough. It does mean that this guy has an unbelievable leg. And uh, Kai Forbat, though, hasn't, he hasn't melted down underneath uh, the pressure of having another guy here that gets drafted and looks like he's going to take his job. So Forbat has been okay. Now maybe the difference maker is which guy kicks it off farther Carlson can kick it off farther but it'll probably just come down to who makes more in the preseason games last year Marshall Kane almost took the job from Kai Forbath but he missed extra point in the fourth preseason game and that was the deciding factor so that's how close it can be between these two guys mm. so here I, I, I wasn't really up in arms when they drafted a kicker in the later portions of, of this year's draft. I, I think a lot of people were saying, why, you know, why wouldn't you draft a guard with that selection? It's not like a guard in the fifth or sixth round is going to start for sure and, or play meaning. So I wasn't up in arms. But it is a little head-scratching. It's not like Kai Forbath is 40 years old. I mean, in fact, I think Kai Forbath is only about 30 years old, 30 or 31, somewhere in there. And you, you, you know what you're getting for the most part. He's not lights out, but he's fairly steady. I feel like... I feel like the floor on Kai Forbath is not a huge disaster, although he was pretty bad the year before the Vikings got him. But the floor on a rookie kicker, as we saw with Blair Walsh in a couple of those years, is, I guess my grand point here is, in a year in which you're trying to win the Super Bowl, I would be Mm -hmm. looking more at the floor and the worst-case scenario than I would be the best-case scenario, and also the fact that maybe you could have drafted a different position of need. Not that you so can't just cast that, away any kicker for a new one on the street anyways, but that's, that's my main takeaway. I mean, for me, a team that drafted Stephon Diggs in the fifth round should never be drafting a kicker in the fifth round. And really, yeah. when you look at it, um, kickers who are drafted in that sort of area do worse than kickers who are undrafted because the undrafted ones have to prove it. They have a higher bar they have to reach to actually get the job. So it's really a bad move all around to draft them. I mean, it's not something that you should burn down TCO Performance Center over, but it it was not a great move, logically speaking. But to your point, though, yeah, I mean, Kai Forbath had the highest pressure situation that anyone has had since Blair Walsh, which was a, I think it was 55 yards in the Minneapolis Miracle game, or 52, and he nailed it. I mean, I'm surprised that a guy who hit that field goal would have any challenge for his job the next year because he showed that in the biggest pressure situation – he was able to come through. So it, it did surprise me that they would give him competition through the draft and not just some guy that they would find somewhere else, but maybe they just want uh, the best possible kicker they can get in a Super Bowl year. But with Carlson, he didn't really even kick that well last year in college, which sounds a lot like Blair Walsh. And if he wins the job, we'll be kind of uneasy every time he goes out there until he really proves that he can do it. Yeah, the thing like the one thing about Kai that I'm sure is this is this is what led to them drafting a kicker. He's played 23 regular season games with the Vikings and he has missed eight extra points. Yeah. So yep. one one, one yep. in every one in every three games he's missing an extra point and that could be coming in a close game who knows where. 
Yep, that is, and I think that's 100% why. That it wasn't so much the field goals, because he made about 90% of the field goals. It was all about if you're going to give away free points all the time because you're the worst at those extra points in the league, then you do wonder if a guy's a head case, because that's a pretty makeable field goal for everybody else, but he seems to choke on it. So that, that probably is why. But at this moment, I don't think we know yet who the kicker is going to be. Cue the song, because we need an update on the most important thing going on at the TCO Performance Center. Mr. Mankato. Oh. We, we got to get the Mr. Mankato update. We're through the Saturday night practice. We're through the Saturday night practice. We can get an update for the first time on where this is trending. Because <laughs> I think my guy, my guy is sitting out with an injury. So once again, Brick Nelson's killing me. Oh, or Rock, Rock Rogers. Whoever the hell I picked. Kelvin Cool. Yeah. So um, what's the update? So. Okay, so the update is that Brandon Zilstra had a really nice night the other night, and he's mixed in with a handful of first-team reps throughout these first seven days of uh, full-team practices. And I think right now he is the leader, but we, w- we really won't know until we get into preseason games where this is going to go. But he has made quite a good impression so far. The guy just catches everything that comes near him no matter who he's going up against, and that's been impressive. He doesn't have blazing speed or anything, but... It just seems like he's able to use his body and has great hands. Uh, Caleb Jones has also done well. That's my guy uh, so far. He's gotten some first-team reps. He's mixed in there. He's improved on special teams, which he has kind of a jump on everybody else because he did it last year. Aside from that, Mike Boone uh, has stood out for sure. Your guy, Rock Thomas, has not at all. And he (laughs) seems like he's – I mean, he is uh, right now like the – would be one of the easiest players to pick to get cut. But that could change. Um, and aside aside from that, though, I mean, those are the standouts. Like, on defense, it's where you get into the preseason games and, and somebody gets a big sack or something like that. That's when, you know, Tashawn Bauer started to step up last year. It wasn't so much in the practices, but when we actually got to the games. But right now, Brandon Dilstra is the guy. Awesome. Matthew Collar with our Mr. Mankato updates. Thanks, Collar. You can find all of his stories and podcasts at 1500ESPN.com. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Matthew. See ya. Thanks, fellas. All right. Um, yeah, so it's, it's early. It, it, all these Mr. Mankato updates until there's an actual preseason game to be played. I'm not going to fall victim to seven-on-seven seven reports, gonna, okay? The Zilster hype m- might be real, though. It sounds like he's got some route-running skills. Oh, I bet. It sounds like he's got some... I want to see it in the game. He brings okay. them from the CFL. He's got some professional route-running route abilities. Who was that one guy? Emmanuel... Uh, Arsenal. Arsenal. Manny Arsenal. Yeah, I see. He brought route-running from Back the CFL, Back in the CFL, CFL as well. Yeah, that worked out well for the Vikings. Let's just wait for the first preseason game, and then we'll then we'll Don't judge. go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Come on, there's so much to do. On 1500 ESPN. Tune in Tuesdays at 6 p.m. for the Adrian Heath Show. It's presented by Heineken every week. Jamie Watson... And Adrian Heath will be breaking down Minnesota United FC, MLS soccer, and much more. It's all right here, 6 p.m. Tuesdays on 1500 ESPN. All right. The club's struggling. The soccer club's struggling. I saw some controversy that they they put a transfer player into the rotation, into maybe the starting lineup even. I didn't didn't get a chance to watch the game over the weekend. but And then didn't Quintero and Calvo get, get into it during the game, the last game here against... Seattle, I think it was on Saturday night. I think they, they got into it during the game. So we've gone from arguing. a three-game three winning streak at home to now controversy all over the pitch. Meltdown. Meltdown on the pitch. 
That's exactly what's happening. Okay, but this you're getting what you want because you don't want these expansion and second year teams. You don't want them to succeed. You think that oh, the yeah. Vegas Ace is going to the Stanley Cup final was a detriment <laughs> to their franchise. The Vegas Aces. Or the Ve- I'm sorry, the, the, the Golden Knights, Knights the Golden but Knights. that's fine. The Aces might sneak into the playoffs, too. Let's just See, say... Vegas expansion teams mixed up. Let's just say, if you give me the choice between a fabulous uh, goal on the pitch or two t- teammates verbally sparring and almost coming to fisticuffs, I'm always going to take the latter. <laughs> I'll always take Calvo. Calvo gets very upset, too. Because he he's a guy that... I told you the game I covered walked into the locker room post game and he was going through his Twitter feed and saw saw some um less than complimentary tweets about him and said if those people are here, remove them from my press conference scrum. I find that hilarious when Calvo gets mad. When athletes do that. Like Oh man. That's the you're nice just gonna, you're just gonna get rid of all any anyone who maybe blinks at you wrong. We're just gonna cleanse them from the room. So I'll give football players this. You've gotta really go down a slippery slope for, for them to get mad. Or t- they don't they even just know don't who know. you are though. They don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm saying that's good. Like for for this guy to actually be like, if this group is here, they can't be here. Take them out. It's like really? Yeah. Really? And, and think about too, like you're an expansion team, not that players think about this. If this is all going to work and succeed, and you're going to make money and do this professionally, you want as many people covering this as possible. You want as many yeah. eyeballs on this as possible. Yeah. I have noticed, though, the uh, the attendance average attendance for a Minnesota United game this year is like twenty or twenty one thousand. Uh, okay. So they're drawing now. It's fewer games, but they're drawing more than the Timberwolves. They're right up there with the Wild. I want to say. All right. What's the Wild capacity? Twenty, twenty one, nineteen something. So on a per game basis. They're right there. And the new stadium looks looks very cool. It's going up fast. Yeah, yeah I'm excited nice. for that. Controversy, though. Controversy on the pitch, which I always encourage and enjoy. Yeah, I'm sure. I kicked the soccer ball around yesterday with the with the gal. She played uh, soccer in high school. Really? Yeah, I almost pulled both hamstrings attempting. Uh, <laughs> How'd that go for you? Just attempting like some basic soccer drills. She's let's go out. Let's get a little, little change up the exercise. We'll go out and we'll see. And she's like kicking with both feet, and I'm just like <laughs> trying to kiss and not to die. I gotta go sit down on the it, bench it, for now. It wasn't quite Judd Zolgad basketball challenge bad, but it was. Oh, I hope not. Close. I hope not. <laughs> uh, we'll be back tomorrow, and you can find all of our on-demand stuff anywhere you would generally download podcasts. But 1500ESPN.com is a good place to start.